0: This podcast is brought to you by Scribe, a financial content agency. Just because your financial company and what you do is complex doesn't mean your content marketing has to be. Scribe produces blogs, articles, website and product copy, ebooks, pitch decks, and white papers for everyone from late stage fintech startups to the world's biggest banks and financial brands. Visit us at the Scribe Online. That's www.thescri.be. This is Stream It or Leave It. I like it a lot. Looking for something to watch? You have my undivided attention. We break down the best of streaming TV. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So you can stop scrolling and press play. We
1: don't talk. We hook up. I smoke them and watch TV. It's
2: great.
0: Tune in each week for our take.
2: That's what I do. I drink and I
0: know things. And now, action. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. And don't call me Shirley.
1: Welcome to Stream It or Leave It. I'm your host, Shindy, and with me are Matt. Hello. And Jeff. Howdy. And today we are actually in for a little treat. We're doing a little something different. For all of you Netflix subscribers, you may have noticed that as the holidays and the awards season is approaching, that there are some seriously huge movies that have arrived on the platform or are arriving. And so the two buzziest movies so far are Power of the Dog, which is the long awaited drama from writer-director Jane Campion. You may have uh, seen her work, The Piano, along with the star-studded satire, Don't Look Up, from writer-director Adam McKay, who also did Anchorman. And then also what they claim to be their, quote, biggest film ever, the action blockbuster Red Notice from writer Rawson Marshall Thurber, who I had to look this one up, but apparently he did Dodgeball back in the day. Oh. So <laughs> that mega hit. And so we've taken the time among the three of us to watch all of these blockbuster movies. And by the end of this show, you will know whether we think you should stream it or leave it. So with that, we're going to take a look at and talk about Don't Look Up First. According to IMDb, It's about two low-level astronomers who must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. So, very interesting film. What were your first impressions before you even knew or dug into this movie or watched it? Matt, take it away.
2: Um, I was excited to see this. I think it's a film we've all been looking forward to. Uh, Some big names. Uh, I am a fan of... Adam McKay's recent work, he did uh, Vice and The Big Short, kind of graduating from uh, silly but funny comedies with Will Ferrell into tackling kind of weightier issues and bringing some satire into play. And I think he did a great job with those. So I was really looking forward to what he was going to do with this. Uh, I knew that it was to do with climate change and I knew there were some huge names attached, including DiCaprio. But I was a little bit worried that there was too many big names attached um, that it could be a bit of a circus, but I really didn't know too much about it. So, uh, yeah, excited, but a little bit concerned.
1: (laughs) Hmm. Actually, super interesting um, first impression. Jeff, what did you think?
0: I didn't know anything about it at all. I know I'm supposed to, but (laughs) I didn't know anything about it until a friend of mine from high school posted a picture of my cousin with the same haircut that Dr. Dibiaski has in the movie you know with the bangs jennifer lawrence's bangs and red hair and my cousin had the exact same haircut so so i did a little you know i did a little looking into it and so i think in advance of watching it you know i was i was excited to see it there's a lot of big names in it right and i do like adam mckay's movies so in general
1: yeah cool yeah i loved her haircut like the mullet right but it was like an edgy punk rock kind of mullet, not like a yeah, it was, country music mullet.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a punk mullet.
1: Yeah. I actually didn't know anything about this movie. I didn't know that it was uh, a dark comedy or satire. I didn't know what it was about. had no idea that they were playing astronomers. When I looked at the poster, I agree. I got a little nervous when I see like a star-studded cast like that that's sort of splashed across a movie poster <laughs> because it's already so loaded. Mm-hmm. Like you you think that, oh my God, you know, all these big famous stars, it's, it's like you expect it to be good, but then obviously you have high, such high expectations that you set yourself up sometimes for failure, which actually goes into we're gonna just dive straight in. So on the first point, the film is a satire. I actually didn't know that that's what it was at the beginning. There was a moment in the film when, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, where it switches. And then you're like, okay, this is a dark comedy. <laughs> because in the first half hour or so, you're not quite sure. And I'm, I'm curious what you guys thought. Um, was the film the better success as a dark comedy. Was there a moment where you kind of realized that this is the way this was? Did you go into this knowing that this was what it was, Matt?
2: Yeah, I didn't realize just how broad it was going to be. I knew it was a dark comedy, but I didn't realize that it was going to take things, uh, in my view, in such an unsophisticated, uh, on-the-nose kind of way. I think it was when Meryl Streep came out doing, uh, you know, a female Trump Oh, when uh, Rob Morgan came out with this toupee, that I realized where this was going. I went, oh. And it was a shame because I thought that, like you said, I thought the beginning was interesting. So it's, it's not a bad setup. Uh, and you've got these great actors, DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, kind of starting off this whole caper. And then it just kind of goes very broad, very quickly. And it's a shame because it's a smart setup and it's got an honorable aim, you know, trying to... To bring up the theme of climate change and show up the flaws in so many important layers of society when it comes to this. But it just wasn't very funny for me. So it smacked me more of something like Not Another Teen movie, uh, you know, <laughs> or, you know, when it comes to an ensemble kind of comedy parody, you know, in terms of the sophistication of the satire or something like the Jon Stewart movie Irresistible which I don't know if you watched it but again it had a it made some great points and it was quite clever politically but it wasn't a very good movie so it's a shame.
1: Yeah, Jeff, what did you think? I mean, was this effective as a dark comedy given the the breadth of the point that they were trying to drive home?
0: It took on a a lot and like the scope of the movie it sort of reminded me a little bit of a combination, you are know, like a mashup between Dr. Strangelove and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and Noah's Ark. So I just thought, like, there's so much going on in the movie in terms of the interweaving of the stories and all of the characters and how they're interacting. But I didn't think it was that funny. <laughs> so it wasn't as funny as those movies <laughs> or as clever, but there were a lot of, like, cool symbolisms in there that gave me something to think about.
1: Interesting. Um, You know, on the climate change topic, Matt, that you mentioned, I didn't see it so much as that as it was a big metaphor for obviously the coronavirus. And on the films that this reminded me of, but when you were introduced to Streep's president character, (laughs) it immediately brought like Veep vibes Mm -hmm. because obviously Veep is like a, a whole satire on just the ridiculousness that is the U.S. government and all of the inner workings and machinations of um, what happens in the Capitol. And then it was a mix of idiocracy. I don't know if you guys have seen Idiocracy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The movie with Luke Wilson. Oh, man, you see the people who are like idiots and then you see the people who kind of have a reckoning of what is going on.
2: That was a problem. Uh, Veep or the British original, uh, in the loop, I believe it was called. Uh, from Amando Iannucci. Those are really sophisticated, very cutting mm-hmm. satires, very edgy, bring something to the table. This was just so on the nose. It just smacked off when De Niro got on stage to accept an award, or I think it was at the Tony Awards a few years back, and he just started chanting, fuck Trump, fuck Trump. Mm. You're not going to get anybody on board being that on the nose. It's not sophisticated. It's not funny. It doesn't mm-hmm. bring anybody to the table. So... I, I do think it was about climate change, and I think it's trying to to just show how we're ignoring something really obvious that's coming towards us, and we know it's coming, but the media finds a way to downplay it those in power yeah. and, and the public just goes along with it until one day it's gonna blow up in our faces. But sadly, a movie like this, as soon as you do the Trump thing, you know half the country is gonna switch you know switch to Hulu. if we're going to keep in the streaming thing so that's the shame of this it's got a it's too hollywood it's too self-satisfied and like jeff said it's just in the end it's just not funny enough yeah
0: yeah
1: all good points there yeah Jeff. i
0: think well it it definitely appears too on the nose very heavy-handed everyone in the movie basically fails in what they set out to do and because there's no communication between the characters, right? We're experiencing a lot right now. And I think what the movie is effective at, the message that it's effective at delivering is that there is this polarization that's happening with a lot of people and how media reinforces it, sometimes intentionally, sometimes ignorantly. But Mm -hmm. I think that's really the bigger message of of the film. It's not climate change or even COVID, it's communication in my opinion. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah,
1: super interesting. I, I think it's almost like um, there was that crossing of the line. And I agree with you guys, like Havip is so sophisticated and well done as a cutting satire. And the moment when they introduced Mark Rylance's character oh. is I think when I realized I was like, Oh, wait a second, this is a parody. <laughs> And at first I thought that it was going to slowly play through these astronomer stories, but it, it, and then when that happened, I feel like the movie just sort of went tumbling down somewhere else. And so, and then you're introduced to like ridiculous characters, like president Orlean and her crazy son. So yeah, I agree with you both. And on the whole, climate change or you know whatever the miscommunication among these two polarized audiences agree with you both i almost think it's like there's a science there people need to see it to believe it and that's very apparent in the film because and it's just right. it, i felt like the writer adam mckay is trying to make a point it's like there's this invisible threat and some people need to see things to believe the threat mm-hmm. and regardless of, you know, media or communication. So there's obviously a star-studded cast, starting with Jennifer Lawrence, who hasn't been in a big blockbuster film for a while, and then there's Leonardo DiCaprio, and there's Meryl Streep and Jonah Hill and all of these people. So why would anyone have signed up to do this? Um, But, like, everyone signed up to do this. So I wonder sometimes who the first big time actor was matt i wonder if you have any thoughts on this i think
2: Caprio may have been the first one on board um yeah it's a mystery i mean but hollywood does these things right for a while that there was this thing where every year there was a romantic comedy where everybody in hollywood was signed up and none of them were any good and eventually the public caught on i think it was valentine's day mother's day and eventually there was one i don't know that just fizzled completely. So there is this kind of sheep mentality sometimes, and I guess no, it's when it's Judgment Day. Judge, there you go. I was looking for it. You got it. Uh, but when, but I think I think the
1: next blockbuster thriller is going to be Earth Day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I think you
1: know, if, if, yeah, no, that... holiday, the holiday, yeah, I, like Love Actually. I think that was
2: uh, every holiday had one, and it was horrific. Yeah, but I never watched any of them. To be fair, so they may have been amazing. But I think Adam McKay has picked up quite a reputation in the last couple of movies where he can project to, to Oscars. So that's part of it. And I was also reading that the script took a turn to the sillier once, was it once the Trump presidency started? I think it was written before the Trump presidency started. And then once that got going, I think Adam McKay thought, oh, hang on a second, we're going to have to go lower here because <laughs> the reality is crazier than our film. And I wonder if people had already signed up and then the script got changed downwards, revised downwards, as it were. And by then it was too late. But uh, yeah, there's a bit of a sheep mentality. And like I said before, I think Hollywood is not so great when it comes to making subtle, progressive points. I don't think they realize just how they come across to the mass audience with a self-satisfied kind of uh, approach.
1: Yeah, totally agree with you. That's why we need comedians like Ricky Gervais (laughs) to remind us of how self-important they are. Because it gets very group-thinky when you have these kind of Hollywood movies that are so... Like the commentary is so strong about the political climate. And you almost think, like, who did they make this for? Because I think the intention was to try to change somebody's mind or make people see how ridiculous... Whatever the current political climate is or was, but in doing so, they did themselves a disservice here. That's a good point, Matt. About at what point during the the last administration did they write this? Because as the film rolls along, you start to see more and more clues for how they're trying to relate it to current world events, like the President Xi reference. Obviously, President mm-hmm. Xi, China. And then uh, it got more and more politically charged, especially like the commentary with the red hats and the guys in the audience. And they're trying to make fun of these people like they're rednecks. And I just thought that that was a low blow, like it was pandering.
2: And it's a shame because McKay did really well with Vice. I thought Vice was a little bit on towards this side of the spectrum, but he just about pulled it off. He did the political thing, the satire thing, some silliness, but I thought it was a really great movie. But here, I think they just lost the plot
1: i haven't actually seen vice but that makes me want to go back and watch it yeah um jeff what did you think
0: i I wasn't really super impressed i I didn't think anybody's performance was particularly memorable i like jonah hill's character he was pretty funny but everybody seemed like they were playing themselves in some ways
1: (laughs) (laughs) true matt who did you think did the best or (sighs) any memorable performances whatsoever and did you have a favorite character
2: Huge groan. I mean, no. I mean, I think Meryl Streep seemed to be having fun with her character. It was a very annoying character, but she generally seemed to to be having fun. Whenever she was on the screen, she kind of lit up the screen. So that was was a reprieve from the agony. (laughs) But then, you know, I just can't not mention Mark Rylance. I thought he was awful. As a Steve Jobs type of character, I thought he was (laughs) one of the most infuriating things I've seen on screen in recent years. I mean, there was something about it. It's probably a personal thing of mine. It just, there was just something so, just utterly unwatchable about his performance. It's a shame because he's he's an amazing character actor.
1: Jeff, did you, who are your favorite characters? Um, If you had any. I
2: I didn't really have any. I like Joan Hill's
0: character, Mark Rylance made the sort of announcement that clued me into the symbolism of polarity, because he says, we're going to walk through the pillars of Jacob and Boaz. Jacob and Boaz are the black and white pillars on the high priestess card of the tarot. They're also were outside of Solomon's temple. And in Kabbalah, they express polarity, they express opposites, opposition. And so you know you you can't really walk between them you have to sort of marry them in consciousness so that's like
2: i'm not going to go Obviously. into all that crap but <laughs>
1: jeff um, br- bring i bringing totally the knowledge got i
2: totally got that as well. <laughs> yeah, i was man. about to mention that
1: right there with you
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know but it's like it's like that's when i realized oh this is like all about polarity this is all about this clash of nobody moving total resistance you know like hmm. so yeah
1: fascinating. Right. Oh, you know, dude, I wonder if Adam McKay is like a tarot man. I don't know, he might be Probably a cabalist. for him to have written. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, to have those references. Mm-hmm. Um, Jayla, I agree, just sort of playing herself. When you've seen her in interviews, she sort of has this sarcastic kind of quality. She's kind of funny and but uh, yeah, I just thought she was herself. Um, <laughs> I agree with you guys. I like Jonah Hill's that whole creepy Oedipal Sun thing happening. Oh. <laughs> um, he had some funny lines. It though. was he bizarre.
2: She had some goody yeah. good
1: lines. And then it was almost like a commentary, like a reverse Trump's affection for Ivana, but it was weird because he's talking about like calling Ivanka. his mom like a smoke show. Yeah, or sorry, Iv- Ivanka. Um, yeah, anyway, a- and then I did like Streep's presidential character. She- I like that she was like a detestable character for once because she always plays an endearing character yeah. where you like love her, but it was nice to see her um, in fun. a role that is... Yeah, exactly. And then Mark Rylance. So I know that you thought he was unwatchable, and I think that's what made his character great because he is truly despicable. I think he really embodied that mix of everything you hear about all these famous tech scions and their weird habits and character obsessions. Like you, like you hear about Pete Teal getting like blood transfusions from 15-year-old men and then the the weird like idol like quality that steve jobs had and just the strange robot automaton like that mark zuckerberg is bezos and his megalomaniacal thing is just i feel like he took all of those different people and compressed it into this one character which is why i thought his cluelessness but yet his, um, <laughs> his over-optimism, I thought, made him fascinating as a character. So I liked him. And I like him as an actor. He's a great um, actor. Yeah. The other two characters I thought were funny were, like, Tyler Perry was playing a fairly normal tv anchor but i i just liked him Mike i thought if he was really a daytime television anchor he would do a good job
2: yeah the, the one thing that i liked about this film was their approach and screwing the media i think jeff mentioned that earlier i thought they got that quite right and i think tyler perry and i think you're gonna say that Kate blanchett i think they they did, when they were on camera, they did those roles really well, yeah.
1: Yeah, Kate Blanchett was almost unrecognizable because that, I, that was intentional, obviously, with her fake plastic surgery. <laughs> um, she was almost creepy mm-hmm. in her role. So did you guys have any other favorite things or hang-ups or random last thoughts
2: I on Don't Look Up? I think I think <laughs> the song at the end is hard to ignore... I actually had to fast you forward You mean
1: Ariana it. Grande's? Yeah,
2: I actually oh. had to yeah. fast forward Ooh. through it. It was just the apex <laughs> of misguided self-satisfaction. It was unbearable. <laughs> I mean, to get to that point in the movie and feel like you're going to throw in a song, then we're going to be laughing to the lyrics. And it's, it was just, oh, it was uh, stomach churning. Yeah,
0: her name in Hebrew, by the way, her last name, the character's last name, means understanding.
2: Bina. So clever.
0: Oh.
1: Mm-hmm. Fascinating, Jeff. Thank <laughs> mm-hmm. you for those nuggets of wisdom. You're welcome. But you know, it's it's not any different from what would actually happen. I feel like all of those things are commentaries of, of the ridiculousness because you have this whole group of people who aren't you're believing one thing and they have a concert to raise awareness and then they hire the biggest pop star of the time to make a song about it. So it's not unlike our society to do something like but that. But do we have so, to listen to the whole the song? song? <laughs> no no we didn't the song was cheesy it was awful oh. and um but <laughs> but I like Ariana Grande as like a singer but yeah do the, you think
0: that that it was definitely. though that it was a shot at both sides of like wokeness and and the sort of fascism uh
1: yeah.
0: of yeah I th- I thought it was taking a shot at both sort yeah. of both polarities
1: yeah. yeah I agree especially when the I silliness heard that song. Of both sides yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, the silliness. Well, you know what they say is like sometimes no matter what political party you're on or what view, if you're extreme on both sides, you'll just meet somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) at some point in the level of ridiculousness. So yeah, a couple of random things I noticed that I really liked. um, And I have no idea if there's any connection, but Meryl Streep played that author, Susan Orlean, in Adaptation. Remember the I think it was a book and then a film a long time ago. And yeah, then Here She was film. President Orlean. Yeah, excellent film. The one about the orchids. Yeah. Um and then there were a few comedic lines. Not the whole the whole movie was not that funny, but like, uh, when they lost their shit in the control room, the guy's like, I'm doing an eight ball. <laughs> I loved that line. Because yeah. everybody's like, I'm going home to see my husband. <laughs> oh, man. And then the only other thing is, did you guys, I, I, I thought the editing was kind of cute and clever with the montages going back and forth between the, the animals and the... Yeah. the you know the oh, okay, okay. Matt, i feel like you're just over it
2: yeah <laughs> i think i think i liked jonah hill's line i think he said i think he was up on the stage and he says the molly's really kicking in now <laughs> i timed that shit yes. perfectly yes. I up. hey did yes. you guys notice matthew perry did you i didn't
0: even notice that he was in the movie what yeah where
1: matthew no way where yeah what? He's,
2: he played no way. dan paquette is his character I've seen some pictures, but did he actually speak? Right. No,
1: I didn't. I missed missed that completely. How random, right? Like not even a big enough, not even big enough to be like a cameo. Like, oh my god, it's Matthew Perry. I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, guys, stream it or leave it, Jeff.
0: Yes, you
2: know, stream it with a grain of salt.
1: <laughs> Matt, stream it or leave it.
2: It was like a long, long, boring SNL cold open. leave it
1: Uh, yeah you know i felt like this is another one of j law's films what was that silver linings playbook it's like not essential viewing but i guess if you want to watch it then go ahead (laughs) so i'm gonna say leave it and save your time but i know that people are going to be talking about it so uh, agree with jeff stream it with a grain of salt
2: watch mother instead for a jennifer lawrence starring uh Metaphor for climate change. Oh, I love that movie. It's nuts, Dude, but I'd rather have batshit crazy than this crap.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, movie. that movie was batshit crazy. Yeah. I loved her wig in that movie, though. I don't <laughs> She had an amazing <laughs> wig in that movie. Oh, it was like flowing gray blonde locks. On to our next blockbuster film, Power of the Dog. According to IMDb, it is based based on a novel by Thomas Savage, is about the charismatic rancher Phil Burbank who inspires fear and awe in those around him when his brother brings home a new wife and her son Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. And this is all happening in 1925 in Western America. So, Jeff, why don't you go first? What were your first impressions of this film? Did you know anything about it? Did you care? Were you eagerly anticipating this or not?
0: I I had it on my list to watch. I would have watched it, whether we have the podcast or not, about it. Um, it struck me as a feminist, there will be blood type of movie. And just out the shoot, I love when westerns turn the genre on its head. So I didn't realize it was going to be so as good and as uh, turning on its headedness as it was.
1: <laughs> Turning it on its headedness of the genre ness. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, what did you? What were you uh, thinking about Power of the Dog? Were you excited about this? Were you looking forward to this?
2: I was excited, but again, I was slightly concerned. I heard a lot of about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. It kind of screamed big role, you know, Oscar bait, and I was concerned about the amount of scenery he was going to be chewing. And, you know, as I first heard his accent, I was like, oof, that's a little strong. But then at the same time, there was a comforting presence of Jesse Plemons, who has tends to have a really great taste in movies. His film from last year was my favorite film of the year, the uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, so, yeah, and like Jeff. I'm a fan of Westerns. But this, very quickly, I saw that this is more of a period piece, which for me, it needs to be very, very good for it to land. So, you know... It was. Uh, let's see if this can do it for me.
1: Yeah, I kind of. I, I agree with you guys. I like Jane Campion. I love the piano. Ooh. The melodies are really haunting, and it's just like the acting is incredible. So I love her work. Um, and also, I don't know if you guys ever watched that series, Top of the Lake. I want to. Um, yeah, it's, on it's
2: great. so
1: good incredible so good so you already know jane campion is um she puts these strong female roles as leads and uh, yeah top of the lake if you haven't seen them, one incredible i can't say that for season two just the first season is excellent also jesse plemons love him as an actor have liked him as an actor since breaking bad when he was like the perfect actor to play Todd, the villain. <laughs> and then Kirsten Dunst, I've always liked her as well. So I was excited about this film, though I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself as part of the Cumberbitches. Um,
2: I wasn't aware of them.
1: Benedict. Yeah. Well, Would that's like sense? his fan club. Yeah. That's, that's like the group of people who adore Benedict Cumberbatch. But I, I don't know. For me, I've just never really been... Like he is not one of those actors. Really, oh my god, I see everything he does. So, going on that, who was who was your favorite character or performance in this, Matt? I mean,
2: this this was obviously a, a movie with some really great actors, and I think there's awards hope for a few of them. In the end, I found Benedict Cumberbatch a little underwhelming for some reason. Maybe because I was expecting a really villainous character. And I didn't find him to be quite that bad, but like we both said, you know, Jesse Plemons is always fantastic, and I thought the kid Cody was pretty impressive. But I think I mentioned this to you guys. I, I I'm not sure if his emo look kind of took me out of the movie a little bit. It seemed a little <laughs> out of its time. Uh, but I'm sure people have done their research, and I'm sure it's it's okay. But it seems a little out there. But in general, I think my favorite. A character, I think it's one of those things where you can say that the, the landscapes and the scenery is a character and I thought mm-hmm. it was just I think it was shot in New Zealand and some people have complained it doesn't actually look like Montana I don't really care it looked beautiful and it was very beautifully shot obviously Jane Campion uh, is pretty good at doing that and I think you know the house just the farm it just looked spectacular it just looked like a, a really it just made the whole thing feel more interesting to me makes you want to be more involved with the story. Uh, So that was my favorite character. Hmm.
1: Cool. Jeff, did you have a favorite character performance? I
0: did. Uh, Jesse Plemons character really got me in the beginning. I just loved how this character is sort of getting gaslighted by his brother all the time, who's about to do it to his future wife as well and just how he navigates that and then when he comes into the relationship with Rose just how tender that start of that relationship is i just loved how he played it it was just really tender and yeah that was nice yeah brought a little tear to my eye
1: oh it it's sweet seeing them together in a movie i think this is is this their first movie that they've acted in together i think
2: together? they've done another one i uh i remember well them doing they're the in one.
1: fargo together mm-hmm. oh that, that might the be TV what i'm thinking show. of yeah yeah and then i mean there's that one black mirror episode where she made a cameo but they weren't like acting oh, together but right. i love the two of them together it's so sweet yeah um, they did make for, for a nice me- couple
2: yeah for a little while yeah <laughs> <so sweet>. right
1: <laughs> <laughs> um you know on the whole uh peter's character being a bit too emo i kind of that reminds me of what jeff's comment was earlier about the whole turning the genre on its head i think that's interesting because i'm sure there were people who didn't look the usual cowboy Mm -hmm. back in the day but it's because the movies that we've seen about the old west have never featured those kind of people so i'm glad to see a different kind of character in this setting um Yeah, he was a little awkward. I liked his role. But interestingly enough, I didn't none of the characters were really great to me. The performances, I felt like what Matt said about the cinematography, the setting, and the music were more substantial for me in this film than any individual performance. So looking at all together, if I was to rewatch this film, it would be for the scenery like the cinematography and for the music only but not for any specific stellar performance from anybody Mm -hmm.
2: i thought the music was a little heavy-handed at times i gotta say i mean i know what you're saying and in conjunction the music and the scenery were really quite stunning but at times it felt like it was it was funny because i watched it with subtitles and it would say you know uneasy music and it just felt like they were over egging the uneasiness like you know, if you weren't sure what was going on, the music started, oh, oh, there's something, there's something <laughs> bad happening. There's something bad going to happen. I felt it was a little over-reliant on that.
1: Interesting. I watched it with subtitles, too. I didn't even notice that. So, spoiler alert, for those of you who haven't seen Power of the Dog, Um, you can go watch the film and then come back and join us for our deep dive. We'll, be we'll still be and here. So now...
2: Wow, yeah. look at that.
1: <laughs> <sighs> and we're back. We're still here. So... One of the things that is very clear in the film, and as Jeff alluded to earlier, turning this Western genre on its head, because Mm. in the Old West, you see this like, who's the bigger cowboy? It's all about masculinity and revenge. And so I wonder what you both felt after watching this. Was it apparent? Was it too much? Or did you feel that Jane Campion did a good job of addressing this head on? So, Matt, what do you think?
2: I think it's the kind of film that did something right because I found myself, when I was watching it, I was thinking, this is pretty good, but it's not, it's not really sweeping me up. But afterwards, it kind of stayed with me. I think a lot of it, again, was a scenery in the music. It's, it has this feel that kind of stays with you. But then, I, you know, it kept me thinking about it. Uh, so I think it did something interesting with the themes. Maybe it was just the way the plot worked out and you're trying to think, did I see that the twist coming? Did I not see it? Did it make sense? But yeah, I think it definitely did a good job of bringing out these themes of insecurity and uh, masculinity and revenge. Is revenge warranted? Uh, what does it lead to? Obviously we have a situation here where perhaps if the kid hadn't sought revenge, you have been able to actually change this villainous figure with the power of kindness. So there were some interesting things there. I'm not sure it was enough for me, but there was definitely some interesting themes.
1: On the whole thing about masculinity, I, I think the idea here is that Campion is clearly saying masculinity doesn't portend necessarily how evil nor vengeful hmm. someone can be. And it's almost like the people that we least expect can be the villains mm-hmm. or vengeful too. Like, uh, it, obviously the story talks about this because I was thinking, okay, is Phil. He's like making fun of the kid and, and you feel true pain for Peter going through that. You know, he's so mean and it's like, there's no reason to be nasty like that. So but it's like, kind
2: of childish as well, right? It's kind of, it's kind of a childish well, super, nastiness. It didn't feel like it was like yeah. a, a proper villain. It's like, come on guys. He's a bit of a dick. He's a bit of a bully. He's
1: he's a cunt. And then later you're like, (laughs) oh, maybe he's grieving because he lost somebody he loved. But that doesn't necessarily justify his nasty behavior. Mm. But on the other side, it's like, okay, later on we see Peter. He's actually quite the schemer, and people have perhaps underestimated his cunning and his ability to actually stand up for what's right in defense of his mother, of course. And then I don't know if either of you got this, but probably not. this treatment of Rose, I thought that in some scenes, George was very pushy and overbearing Yeah. toward her. You know, he was intimidating and he was trying to push her to play piano. She clearly wasn't comfortable with it. Yeah. Yep. He was touting her skill level and just that, like, nudging. And as a woman who's dealt with pushy men, I don't know, it's it's a very irritating quality. And I thought that that was a super interesting character because overall, George is like a a great guy. Hmm. But that one thing about his treatment toward Rose was a little annoying. But Mm -hmm. anyway. That's
2: that's, that's a good point. I I hadn't picked up on that. I guess all the males here are quite flawed. But at the same time, I, I didn't think there was quite enough there to drive her to drink. I mean, she's oh, found no. love. She's found a, a generally quite nice fella. In she finds herself in fairly uh, comfortable circumstances, despite having a, a cunt in the house. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> is it enough to drive her to to not leave in bed and drinking in bed, uh, hmm. you know? And I guess that can then ties up to is that enough for somebody to seek revenge and all of that? But I thought that was another aspect to me in the narrative that didn't quite work.
1: Hmm. I see. Yeah. Maybe she was just so terrorized and tormented by Phil because he clearly hated her. And and we don't know, you know, I've never lived under the same roof with somebody who just really like hated me and made my life hell. In the
2: middle of the night. I mean, that would piss me off.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And just like, you know, he, He was, uh, every nerve that she had, he seemed to be just playing it, uh, just, you know, really making her life as miserable as possible.
0: I saw three forms of toxic masculinity going on here. Um, One of the things that I realized just last night, I was talking to Jill about the story of the movie because we were just scrolling through Netflix, you know, and I was telling her the outline of the story. And I realized that this is sort of a metaphor for the next generation of gay men killing off the repression and fear of previous generations of gay men because they are maturing. They're like moving on. And so the, the murder seems like metaphorical to me, you know, and in reflecting on the hyper-masculinity of the three men, you've got George who idealizes Rose. And I think Shindy, you know, what you were saying is his his pedestal becomes a jail for her in a way. So she doesn't have any support from this new husband. Her son's away at boarding school. Phil is gaslighting her constantly. Phil's short for brotherly love, and you can see his attempts to like connect with his brother and the ranch hands and the spirit of Bronco Henry. And he's sort of this guide and critic and the smartest guy in the room until Peter shows up and humbles him to death.
2: <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> like,
1: Super interesting.
0: I think Phil is really an expression of how hurt people hurt people, you know, because he sees George experiencing yeah. something that he's never going to have. He, he will never have what he wants in a relationship. He can't express it out loud or in public because it's illegal and sinful and you know there's all of this cultural crap so at the very beginning i was like sort of curious about who said you know i did everything only for my mother's happiness that was like the the line at the very in the credits of the movie you know in the opening credits it's peter talking but he's also another form of toxic masculine. oh yeah that's right yeah he's he's another form of toxic masculine because he never He handles his business with
2: murder. (laughs) Be it a rabbit or a a
1: cumberbatch. Yeah, damn it. That masculinity just leads to murder. Jeez. (laughs) So then, all right, well, the ending, you mentioned murder. Did we see it coming? I felt like it was really predictable. Uh, Once Hmm. Peter starts going to, like mounts the horse, wall wobbly, cuts a little piece of anthrax skin off the cow. (laughs) and then it's like all right we know where this is going and then he's like oh how many just how many scenes do we need to see of the rope soaking in the water and then like phil handling the water? but but
2: there wasn't there a possibility that he was just going to practice on that dead animal i mean that's kind of what that's I what i thought that. yeah yeah i mm. think there was enough misdirection but you're, i did not th- you're not enough for shindy <laughs> we were easily well, misdirected the toxic males thought- here
1: but didn't you guys notice? I mean, the cow's like sitting there dead from anthrax. Like you guys didn't see that? No, we, uh, and then so I thought.
2: But he he practiced <laughs> on a rabbit that was dead from a uh, neck breakage. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I I guess I just it wasn't that I like oversaw that I was just like, huh, okay, mm-hmm. This cow's <laughs> clearly dead because earlier in the film they had alluded. Yeah. Remember yeah. Phil had alluded he's like don't touch those cows because they're sick. Yeah, yeah. And so then I when he approached the dead cow who's like locked all mm-hmm. like <laughs> you, you think oh shit that's a sick cow. <laughs> then, so he's kind of so then yeah he gets the little extract of skin and and then like the water and the rope <laughs> and the hands it's like ah oh, shit we all know where this is going.
2: Coming back to their hand when they kept coming back to his hand. I did think, okay, there's yeah. something there that he's going to lose his yeah. hand or something. And I guess we all knew there was going to be something coming. I just didn't see that one. Well, he cut did.
1: himself. Remember? Yeah, yeah, no. He cut himself.
2: But it, it never healed. Yeah, they kept yeah. coming back to it. They showed it two or three mm-hmm. times. I knew there was something coming there, but did not see as much as yeah you
1: i was just thinking like okay how many hints are they going to mm-hmm. drop us here are they going to put it in in text like <laughs> <laughs> peter <laughs> is poisoning phil <laughs> hello yeah, i need it I like know. that please matt- with that
2: voice yeah. <laughs> that's what it takes for me to get it thank you
1: <laughs> no i just i don't know so then peter griffin voice m- matt <laughs> Um, Matt, so then you didn't, what did you think as first, before you realized what was happening?
2: Once it happened, I instantly clicked, which for me is, it means it was quite well constructed because I usually don't click on these things. So it was, I thought Hmm. it was pretty well constructed. I thought it was enough misdirection, obviously not enough for you. It was for some people that wasn't, I thought it was enough because you have all these approaches. You're thinking this might go down the road of, oh, there's a real friendship here or, might go down the road of Phil is just luring him in for the kill, which is obviously the misdirection that is trying to give you. So I guess there was three alternatives, and it took one. And I was just I didn't I didn't guess too much. I just kind of went with it. And uh, yeah, no, I thought it was well constructed. Cool. Uh, for me, the issue becomes is is what we've mentioned before: is was it warranted? Was Phil really that evil? Mm. And I think uh, he wasn't quite that bad. And I wasn't. I didn't believe necessarily that he was becoming a better person, but I thought it was a little harsh to kill him.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I wasn't sure. It was almost like night and day, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he took Peter under his arm, and right. was it? It was Suspicious. odd. Like that's. Yeah, it was like that flipping personality. It's not like he got busted per se. It was just that Peter caught him sort of nude bathing and then all of a sudden he right. started being nice to him which i thought was really odd character development wise so i don't know I'd, maybe this alludes to what the title is all about jeff maybe you can define enlighten us all with the <laughs> definition power of the dog so the, <laughs> do tell the Please. power
0: of the dog comes from uh psalm 22 in the old testament which is a jewish scripture and to christians it's known as the psalm of the cross because in the story of jesus crucifixion he quotes the very first verse of that psalm the verse that's read actually is a really amazing correspondence because i don't know if you guys have heard the quote that uh, dog is god spelled backwards have you ever seen that bumper sticker <laughs>
1: <laughs> I th- it's I a
0: legit bumper sticker mm. But it's more accurate and significant
2: that's, that's pretty credible yeah
0: i mean it's but it's it's actually you know dog lovers like see this divine quality in their dogs you know and so okay the dog to me is is in hebrew every letter has a number so every letter is assigned a number in the 22 letters of the hebrew alphabet so there's a certain form of kabbalistic study and sorry to bring Kabbalah into this again but it's totally meaningful like the name kelev which is the Hebrew word for dog its number is 52 there are four letters in the name of God the the most holy name of God in the Bible that's unpronounceable it's been mistranslated as jehovah but it's it's not translatable so that name also when you spell out each letter of that name it also totals 52. So there's this divine sort of disruption that's going on when Peter comes in and does this deed to Phil, and it's shaking up the characters. It's shaking up the status quo. My feeling about it was, is that evil or do we misunderstand the meaning of disruption? Mm -hmm. Like, is the thing here that breaks you down, is it there to help you grow? This film being sort of respectful of the period that it's set in, it's faithful to the the adolescence of the American West, right? The adolescent consciousness, which you guys were talking about earlier, you know, when he's making fun of, when Phil's making fun of Peter in the restaurant or mocking his shoes. That's so. Yeah. And calling his brother names and gaslighting Rose. There's this total, the movie is like totally an adolescent, like vibe, you know, it's just (laughs) like this cruelty, right? And so... Like I just thought that correspondence was really chewy,
1: chewy,
0: <laughs> not anthrax, you know, not anthrax, uh,
1: rope chewy, rope chewy, <laughs> yeah. but
0: uh, just lots to chew on
2: with that.
1: Matt, do you have anything to add to that?
2: To that? Break not really. The no. Title? No. I think, I think, you, <laughs> I think I'm going to step aside on that one. What's the next cool. topic, please?
1: All right, well, uh, before we tell you guys whether to stream it or leave it, did you guys have any other faves or hangups, random wildcard thingies that you noticed?
2: Uh, what, did, what do you guys think of his accent? Um,
1: oh, who's? Oh, yeah. Benedict?
2: As Americans. Eh,
1: I thought it was pretty good. I didn't notice that it was bad. It was
2: close. Yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah.
1: I, I, it didn't, Um. like, I didn't find it to be off or anything. Okay. I thought it was pretty good. Surprisingly good. Okay.
2: No, he is good. It's just it's just I find it a little bit grating his American accent but oh. you know when he does Doctor Strange mm-hmm. to me it's very noticeable also but yep. maybe because No I agree I started watching him in Sherlock Holmes and it's very noticeable to me but it feels a little forced but you guys would be mm. able to know better than me
1: it's kind of like when they get Anne Hathaway to play British actress, <laughs> like British roles. It's like, yeah. why? There's so many talented British actresses. It's like, why would you pick the most British English, you know, speaking actor to play this Western <laughs> role? It's bizarre. So I don't know. Anyway, but stream it or leave it, Jeff.
0: Uh oh, stream it. <laughs>
1: Okay, we had to deliberate for a second. I thought
0: we were gonna talk. That's because I thought we were gonna talk about his shoes.
1: Oh well, actually, that is the one random (laughs) wild card thing. When Peter is shopping with his mom Rose, and then he picks up those like funky shoes, I thought that they were pretty much today's Vans, like the white high top Vans.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we said that. too. we thought that they are. It's a '20s
0: thing. It's a '20s thing, though. If you look at pictures of like F. Scott and Hemingway playing freaking oh. lawn tennis like it's very it's very great gatsby ah
2: uh, okay very cool. mm-hmm. i know. love those Thank shoes
1: so, see this is great i mean jane campion exposing us to the other side right? of the wild west <laughs> yeah so okay stream it or leave it jeff you already went Matt?
2: <laughs> 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 i was i was leave it for all along <gasps> I thought it was a, a little bit boring, to be honest, most of it. And but the twist was like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm not sure it was it completely worked. But now with some distance, I think stream it. I think there's enough there to to make it worth worthy of a watch.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think stream it. I think it's one that I'll watch again, knowing oh. you know, yeah, could be interesting. And then finally. Our last Netflix blockbuster up for discussion is Red Notice. Um, According to IMDb, it is about an Interpol agent who tracks the world's most wanted art thief. And so we're going to just do kind of like a short and sweet (laughs) synopsis and breakdown for you guys, because I feel like everybody's seen this movie or according to Netflix, everybody has seen this movie. So uh, first takes, Matt, what did you think about this?
2: I mean, this film is the only reason this film is interesting to me is because it's such a big blockbuster. The Netflix upset is the biggest film they've ever had. They spent 130 million, I think, acquiring this movie, and it's you know it's a big part of their strategy going forward to get these kind of mass appeal, algorithm-friendly films. And you know, when I was actually writing up my notes for *Power of the Dog*, I kind of wrote down misery porn uh, to. To describe some of it, is it just miserable? <laughs> now, red notice that's, is just that's actually very good. It's just misery. Uh, it's just miserable. <clears> uh, <throat> I think uh, yeah. it was not today. Was not a good day to start my 21 day complaint free challenge. Uh, oh, <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. oh man, yeah, it's, uh,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But man, it's just a mind numbing. <laughs> you know, ri- written by algorithm attempt to do Indiana Jones meets James Bond meets Ocean's 11 uh, with some tequila <laughs> advertising in it. Uh, it's just, just, just unbearable. <sighs> I noticed unbearable. that
1: too. I thought that was so cheesy with the Aviator Gen product placement. Oh, anyway, and then, Jeff. And,
2: oh, wait, and then there was the Rocks tequila in the next scene. I was waiting. Okay, the Rocks oh, tequila on tequila. Up. When's that going to show up? Next scene, he gets tequila <laughs> poured out and I checked, I checked the bottle was was the Rocks tequila brand has been poured him at the bar. So we have two different tequilas being drunk within 20 minutes. It's, uh, yeah, anyway.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, no, Ryan Reynolds is gin Mm -hmm. and the Rocks is tequila. Uh,
2: Oh, sorry. Good point. Uh, Good point.
1: All good. Jeff, what did you think?
0: Hey, look, the only thing wrong with this movie is that it didn't have enough kicking. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) More kicking (laughs) next time, Netflix. More kicking, please. No, I was like completely More... I was totally distracted by the physics of this movie which had made no sense in reality at all. But I I didn't, you know, I I I found yeah. myself totally distracted. I was like going to the bathroom and look checking my phone <laughs> and going to making a little snacky. While Jill dried. fell as- and Jill fell asleep like she was out.
1: Oh, so, uh, I think I did, too, my first go at this. Yeah. So. Jeez. I actually, you know what I think? I, I think I put it on, and I was like, okay, I'm falling asleep. And then the next night, I was like, oh, I guess I'll finish it. can't be that bad. I think I was just sleepy. And nope, it was still bad. <laughs> I was just like, God um yeah it's just a
2: series of inexplicable decisions the plot just made no sense It
1: was just it was all over the place i mean
2: i expect a weak plot but it just made no sense every decision made absolutely Mm -hmm. no sense
1: it was um i mean i could understand if a family wanted something fun to watch and you have recognizable movie stars and you want action um so in that regard i thought it was whatever you kind of know what you're gonna get Mm -hmm. and i felt like ryan reynolds character was no different from Deadpool. It's like he was the same person. Gal Gadot was like her beautiful, badass self. Rock was the same sort of character, sensitive man under tough exterior. Like I didn't, we didn't see anything new here, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it was just easy. Like it's an easy thing; people know what they're gonna get. And the my favorite character was Russ Hanneman, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Diamantopoulos. You if you guys are Silicon oh, Valley yeah, yeah. fans, oh. Brilliant. I thought his I thought that actually, was him, but I wasn't hundred
2: percent was... sure. But I thought there can't yeah. be two guys that look kinda like that. He was great. I was just thinking yeah. I was thinking I wish I was watching Silicon Valley when he came up. That's uh that's what I thought. Exactly. <laughs>
1: better show. The whole yeah, I mean one episode of Silicon Valley is better than this whole movie. So anyway.
2: <laughs> and with a better character than Mark Rollins was playing because yeah, Silicon Valley had their own Peter Thiel who was much better than Mark
1: Rollins. <gasps> True. True. All right. So, in general, um, what do we think about these blockbuster hits? Are they going to pick up awards? Are they, I mean, they're going to get nominated. We know that for sure. But what do you guys think, Matt? Do you think they're going to be Oscar contenders?
2: I can see The Rock really uh, slotting in there. I mean, uh, his, uh, <laughs> I don't know whether if it's his comedy quipping with Ryan Reynolds or his romantic lead with Spoiler Alert uh, Gal Gadot, but uh, no, I can see, I can definitely see, um, yeah, Jane Campion being in the mix, cinematography, mm-hmm. adapted screenplay, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kristen Dunst, Cody, I forget his last name. Uh, yeah. I think all the actors could be in, in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as Don't Look Up, hopefully hopefully not the hollywood being hollywood it might be there in the mix as well
1: yeah it could be fairly outlandish um agree i mean predictions i think mm, power of the dogs probably going to get that oscar nom for music maybe even costuming um direction perhaps Mm -hmm. and i don't know about acting necessarily but yeah that's probably the only one out of this bunch I don't see don't look up. Maybe don't look up will get an editing nom. Who knows? Oh who knows? Yeah, it's hard to edit ants and bees together with people <laughs> and busy people in the streets and whatever. Anyway. Um, all right, guys. Well, what else are we watching lately? Jeff, what else have you been watching?
0: Uh let's see, Jagged and which is the documentary. Did we talk about that? I don't think we talked about it yet. Did we?
1: Jacket? I don't think we talked about that. I also didn't. Well, I, are we going to do a stream it or leave it for um, red notice or not even bother because everybody's seen it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Go back in time and don't stream it, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to use Matt's soundbite. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, Jeff
0: so jagged Jagged, yeah Mm -hmm. i watched jagged uh which was interesting and i and i heard that alanis morissette did not agree or approve of the way that the documentary came out and i'm wondering why i didn't see anything about it but i thought it was isn't that ironic it's so (laughs) ironic
1: get it get it Uh, ironic that there's a documentary about her i didn't think it it.
0: put her in a bad light (laughs) uh Maybe maybe one thing, but we'll leave that. Uh, Love Life is also on season two of HBO Max. Season one covers Anna Kendrick going through the arc of a number of relationships in her mid-20s in New York City. And this one takes on a new character who's a... Uh, I can't remember his name. I'm sorry.
1: Eh, Let's we'll just, just leave, leave it, at, it leave
0: It's there. a new season of Love Life. Okay, <laughs> and cool. it's really good. Uh, we took the kids to see Encanto uh, in the theaters, which hit Disney Plus on December 24th. I highly recommend this movie. I cried like 16 times. Whoa. And uh, it was really good. Like, it's my, now my favorite Disney movie. Whoa. And Whoa. then Netflix, cool. we started watching Coming Out Colton.
1: Mm, I've seen that in my recommended.
0: Yeah, mm. the dude from The Bachelor. Yeah, it's. I'm. I'm oh. glad to see some of these, like... Things coming out uh, of people coming out, you know, like people's backstories of their coming out experience. Because I think it's important for us to see every kind of or personality of male. You know, you've got football players and Caitlyn Jenner and that story of sort of like really masculine men and their struggles and their fears and reluctance. I think it's important to
2: see
1: cool matt what else are you watching
2: i've been doing as i usually do uh, a frenzied catch up on the best movies of the year uh which becomes increasingly hard because in december a lot of good movies come out so uh i've been catching up with a few things i I watched king richard which does not qualify as one of the best movies of the year i watch uh, june i watch finch i watch ghostbusters again i'm not helping my case none of these really qualify apart from, from june but what i have been enjoying is uh Get back the uh, Beatles documentary on Apple Plus, which is uh, a really long one. It's about eight hours divided in three episodes. Peter Jackson Ooh. has picked up the original tapes of uh, a documentary uh, filmmaker who basically shot two or three weeks of the Beatles uh, recording a, an album on a soundstage for a special, and he's recut it into into a longer documentary. And it's absolutely astonishing to see godlike people are uh, most of them dead, just making music and writing songs, and you can see them coming up with the songs and coming up with the arrangements and bouncing things off each other and joking with each other, and in particular seeing John Lennon alive and just cracking jokes, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's it, it's long. I'm not the biggest Beatle connoisseur in the world so i'm sure there's a thousand things that are missing that other people go oh yeah that's when that happened and that's when that happened mm-hmm. but it's just you could it's just hypnotic you could watch it endlessly and um yeah and there's some really interesting conversations between john and paul about the nature of the band the nature of of where things are headed some really honest conversations uh yeah, it's really really interesting.
1: Yeah, before that bitch Yoko broke him up. Just kidding.
2: Well, that the funny Well, that's the thing. The funny thing is they have a conversation where John actually where Paul Paul actually says to to the band, "Wouldn't it be ridiculous if 50 years on we look back and we broke up because of Yoko?"
1: No way. And he
2: says she's okay. And apparently, you know, George hey. George Harrison left the band briefly because he couldn't handle her being around and Paul was saying, "It's okay. So she's there. So he likes being close with her. That's cool. It's not. It's not how he used to be, but she's not that bad. So that's just one of the really interesting conversations that's in there.
1: Mm-hmm. Makes me want to watch it. It's fascinating when you think about it. You really don't have that much footage of them together creating in their like creative process. It would be interesting. Or anybody that we know about to them. this degree. Yeah. I've never
2: seen so much. I mean, I'm sure there is out there, but you don't get to see them. Yeah. yeah
1: fascinating and i and i was joking about yoko obviously i don't know i should watch this documentary to understand what the problems actually were Mm. you know why her presence was so intimidating but it's unfortunate um i've been watching succession which ended um season three was amazing Mm. (laughs) very different from season two but just all in all continues to be a fantastic show excellent writing excellent acting i think one of the best shows on tv just oh season after season is just riveting and i also began watching and just like that on hbo max for all of the sex oh, and the city fans i did too i just me too so oh my gosh we should do a show on this mm. like uh when it's all well no 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 oh, okay i began and ended i was uh sex in the city was a huge part of my life and, you know, growing up and it was just I love the original four and I'm a diehard fan, almost know every line of the original series. And so I was excited to see this, but I've seen a lot of reviews that the way they treated the writing off of Samantha was a little jarring, a little surprising. And also, so anyway, I can go on and on about this, <laughs> but I'm going to stick with it because I'm interested to see how it, where it goes and how it turns out. But so far, you know, I've I've got time for it, and of course, I've been watching Curb, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh yeah, the new season's been great. Yeah, I think this is one of the funniest seasons ever, actually, which is amazing because I don't know how he does it over and over again. And then right. I watched Dune hmm. this past weekend on my birthday. Matt, you saw Dune, right?
2: I did. I, I started watching it on uh, on streaming. And I thought this is not working for me. I need to watch it, so I stopped. Mm-hmm. And now I watch in the cinema, and I was like, "Wow, okay, this is," but still not sure. Yeah. a little much.
1: Are you have? Did you finish it?
2: I, I did finish it in the cinema. And, okay. You know, I loved the evil nerve, uh, and I was I, really too. excited about this. I think it's astonishing in many ways, but it's just a little long and a little much, a little too much at times.
1: Totally agree with you there. Like, I felt like um, the movie he directed with Amy Adams and the Aliens. What was that movie called again? (laughs) Incredible movie. Oh, the one where she can, you know, see the future and...
2: Arrival. That movie?
1: Arrival. Arrival. Spectacular film. Thank you.
2: And Blade Runner 2049. Mind-blowing.
1: Just, those films are are amazing. But, and there were some amazing moments in Dune where the visuals are, like, mind-blowing, but... Did you get the sense that it's constantly like Timothy Chalamet's like I am the one, and then he's like You're not the one. I am the one. I can't be the one. Oh my god, that's just like oh, fucking get on with it, Jesus. And it's like atmosphere. Somebody be the one. <laughs> he's the one. I'm not the one. It's like oh, okay. Let's let's get on with it, please. I hope part two is a bit more riveting because Jesus, there's a was part like, two. Well, it was, Yeah, this is part one. Of dude? Yeah, because they couldn't do all the book in in one film. Yeah. Anyways, all right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, We will see you again on another episode of Stream It or Leave It. Bye.
2: Love you, bye. That's our show.
1: Are you not entertained?
2: What did you think? Pretty pretty good. Don't forget to subscribe
0: and find, like, and follow us on social and on YouTube. We don't have faces for radio. Promise. You can't handle the truth. You can also find our show notes on Substack, at
1: Stream It or Leave It. See you next time, and thanks for tuning in.